My name is Nick. And I'm Damien. You're listening to the EQIQ Podcast. This is where the independent scientist and biotech entrepreneur come to find new paths to success. Join us as we discuss strategies to launch your vision, grow your team's potential, and uncover hacks to push your career well beyond what you thought possible. All right. Welcome back to the EQIQ podcast. And we are here with Nick and Damien. Gonna flip the script today, try something different. I'm Pablo Signori, the producer of the EQIQ podcast with Nick and Damien. Say hello, everybody, at the same time. One, two, three. Hello, Hi, everybody. everybody. <laughs> nice. So I had an interesting idea. I kind of thought it would be cool if we flipped it and I did sort of a Q&A with Nick and Damien. And the reason for this is I have just been kind of on the outskirts doing the podcast for an entire season and some change now. You know, my job is really to kind of siphon the best of what they're saying and kind of steer the conversation a little bit, but they're ultimately saying whatever they want to say. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they have been influencing me without realizing because I've been editing these podcasts and listening to these podcasts and taking everything that they're saying and using it for my own personal growth. And it's been life enriching. So now I'm kind of a fan of the show that I'm actually (laughs) producing which is a unique situation. So first of all, thank you guys for being so good at what you do. But also, I thought it would be cool if we kind of did a deeper dive in both of your lives and EDC, your consulting firm, to kind of see how it came to be, what led you guys to be such experts in your field, and the perspectives that you guys take on business and the trials and tribulations of just like putting a lab together, how the whole thing kind of formulated into this beautiful thing that's happening now, and that's led you to have a podcast. Let's just jump in here and kind of start getting into it. I think it would serve our audience a little bit if you can talk about just even your father alone, right? Coming from a family of scientists, a lot of people don't realize your dad is a world-famous scientist, hematologist, at least within our field. And I think this kind of helps you to also understand a little bit about why we do what we do. So you're sure you see the same kind of intellectual passion within your father, right? See what he just did there? He flipped it on me. So now it's, it's about me now. How <laughs> I was going to say. That's how good they are because they're so used to coaching people that they just instantly put it on the other (laughs) guy. Yeah. So my mom, my dad, my sister, both my brother-in-laws, my uncle, they're all doctors. My mom's a general practitioner. My dad's a hematology oncology. My sister's an endocrinologist. Both my brother-in-laws are ER doctors. My uncle, who's past RIP. He was my dad's partner, uh, also hematology oncology. So I've kind of been around doctors and science my whole life. And I think I sort of have a scientific mind. I mean, definitely science was the class that I excelled in in high school, aside from music. And it fascinates me. You know, I'm a fly fisher because I like entomology. And so it's all part of the same thing. But what's interesting to me about what you guys do is that you take sort of a more holistic approach to science and managing science. Think about it's kind of like a more progressive way of thinking about it when you marry the two things, which we're going to get to later. But that's why it's been really fascinating for me to kind of see how the both sides sort of meet and how they work in symphony, which is really cool. So why don't you just tell me a little bit, Damien, what was your background and how, how did you get into starting EDC? Well, I'm kind of glad that you're bringing up the background aspect. And this is kind of why I 
wanted you to be able to speak a little bit more about your background, because I think a lot of what we do, we start to realize that people have to see their work and their careers holistically rather than just singularly and just very niche-wise, because there's a lot of impact from our upbringing. So my background, my both my parents are pretty self-driven people. My father is a former military master chief in the Navy. He was one of those guys who kind of likes barks and screams orders, trains all of his people. So there's a lot of that leadership quality and leadership training that's built already in me. And same thing with my mother, who was a former bookkeeper and accountant, where she was all about the numbers and being able to track things and orderly. And this is just for myself. And then Nick himself, with he'll go a little bit more in depth and detail, where he comes from a family of business people and teachers. And so you, he brings that element to our work. And the fact that we're still passionate, interested in science, I'm the only one who's a scientist out of my whole family. And so because of that, I bring in some other aspects from my upbringing into the scientific field. And so just same thing like yourself, you're one of the more creative artists within your family. And so you bring that creativity, that flow. And I think that if we can start to look at ourselves more holistically and not just say this is the one thing that defines us and use that to leverage to help kind of unify a singular vision, I think we are so much more capable than we realize, especially when we get together and just make it all happen. I love that. Maybe talk a little bit about briefly sort of your academic trajectory and and if you were doing scientific work, like what you did. Yeah. So my background is in molecular biology. I uh, did my undergraduate work at UCSD and my grad work over at UCLA in uh, molecular biology, genetics. And so we studied a lot more in and around gene regulations. And from that, I actually started running and managing a bunch of uh, research labs. And I got hooked into management early on uh, running my one of my first research labs. Actually, my the bug hit me when I was in industry. I actually was in industry for a couple years, and I really loved how industry was very perfunctory, made things more mechanical, everything was organized. But I think a lot of it was missing some of that instinctual scientific passion. That was one of my forays into the business side of science. And then I actually then boomeranged and went back into academia. And academia, there's a lot of passion and interest in the science. Unfortunately, business and management-wise, Nick can attest to this, it's like it's just a completely utter mess. And there was not a whole lot of organization uh, that's in the academic field. And so this is one of the things where I said, maybe this is where I can start to do more of my skill set, which I found to be on the management side. I always told people I might be social, but social for a scientist. (laughs) And so this is one of the things that I was more comfortable in and around the people side of running scientific teams and kind of understood the psychology with being able to understand the different types of people that work in and around the field. And I think over time, running a few successful research labs, which actually ended up bringing me, uh, bringing me out to Boston and uh, got a position over at Harvard Medical School, running a fairly successful cancer research lab. From that, it was just organic 
like which started to spawn a bunch of labs that birthed out of that one research lab and each one became successful on its own and then shortly thereafter is kind of when I started meeting Nick is after uh, finding somebody else that also was on a similar path but just on the opposite end of the country by the way this is all super interesting because I had no idea about any of this stuff I just knew that you guys were like gurus in the field but I hadn't really heard the backstory so I'm really excited to hear Nick your version of how you came about and what's influenced you and maybe how you met up with Damien in the end. Yeah, well, like Damien, I am the only scientist in my immediate family. Uh, I have an aunt who's trained as a geologist and and took that in a different direction. But as far as being at the bench goes, uh, I've only, I've been the only one. And I, I think that that's formed a lot of what Damien and I do because EDC really doubles down on that communication piece. You know, I think forever, from the beginning of our careers, we find really interesting things within science, and then we're taking those things home and having to formulate them or maybe reformulate them in a way that we can discuss and tell everybody around us like why these things are so interesting to us. And and that just forced us to really, I, I don't want to say dumb it down because it's not, it's not accurate. It's just changing the words into things that are more familiar with the people that are around us in a way that is interesting for them. And if you look at everything that we do, you know, especially because we are working within such a passion-driven industry, we have to be able to take all these words and find the, the minuscule details that we find incredibly interesting and reshape them and reform them into a way that is not only understandable, but also interesting to everybody else. And so bringing that back to how I got started. My education is all in chemistry. When I moved to the US, one of the first jobs that I got uh, was with a consulting firm that was moving companies from France to the US, uh, specifically from Paris to to LA. And uh, I'm French Canadian, so there was a huge asset, you know, to me was just being able to speak French and being in LA and being able to speak English fluently as well, uh, which didn't really work out couldn't figure out the visas and that was just more problem solving should have called my wife (laughs) eventually throughout my scientific career i'd always put myself into pseudo management positions at the beginning i remember being a tech back in canada and organizing my whole lab i was volunteering in a lab that was all postdocs and i was the only person that was uh, not a phd student or a postdoc and um there's only one phd student and they were all working and and busy doing other things and i couldn't help but look at their work and be like guys everyone's always looking for stuff like just just organize it right just put it was a medicinal chemistry lab so they're using all these different types of glasswares and tubes that all have different functions and it was just like just organize them in a way that makes sense and you guys won't spend half an hour trying to put your stuff together before you actually have to run your experiment and so that was kind of the first lab management thing that I did was I just organized the whole lab, which, you know, for the scientists to give them a perspective of how big this lab was, it was like 12 bays. You know, it's a pretty big lab. (laughs) 
And uh, I just did that because I wanted to. And then all of a sudden that just kicked off a whole myriad of, of different lab manager positions that always kind of took priority. And eventually in San Diego, uh, when I met Damien, I was in the process of starting my own company. And I met Damien because he was doing a talk about lab management, which uh, one of the postdocs in my lab kind of... The story goes that we were both sitting in the office and he just kind of turned around and goes, hey, you always talk about this stuff. I think you'd be interested in this. And, uh, you know, of course I was. I definitely cleared my schedule. I think I asked, but I did not really ask for that afternoon off. It was kind of like mostly telling <laughs> my my PI that I was like, hey, <laughs> I'm going to this. So don't expect me to be here because it, I did have to take kind of an afternoon off. It was not on the campus that I was at. And um, something I said resonated with Damien because he delayed his flight a day to, to talk to me. And after we talked, it was, it was... So you went up to him after the talk or... No, I want to clarify a little bit more on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he didn't just come up after me to the talk. I actually thought he was a great student at postdoc was interested in starting lab and then he goes hey i really like what you're doing can we uh meet for coffee mind you i have to leave that evening on a flight and he was like it'll be quick i'll take you to a coffee i'm like all right i'm not quite seeing where this is going because i've never ever had that had somebody do that to me <laughs> And he was like, no, seriously, like, it'll be be quick. And that because I he asked later on because you were still at work. And so I'm yeah. like, no, I have to be sooner. And he goes, OK, what about sooner? And I'm like, OK, we had a client uh, at the time at UCSD. And I'm like, OK, after this meeting and then I'll meet you. And I still had no idea what this was all about. And <laughs> then I went to have coffee. And I think that's when I started realizing he was kind of on a similar path because he was already starting to consult and meet with people and doing a lot of, of these engagements. And so he was kind of already starting to do a lot of the same things I was doing. And I think that's where I was kind of like, all right, let's talk a little bit more. And that's kind of what got me to like delay my flight. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that was August 8th, 2017. <laughs> well, I have this question actually for later, but one of the things that I've taken from working with you guys and listening to you as you record the podcast and kind of finalizing the podcast, you have such an inherent passion about what you guys do. It's so genuine. It's infectious. You are very excited to talk about the topics that you guys cover, and obviously you use them all the time with your work. So I kind of was curious, and it's not pointed towards anyone in particular, but maybe there's different ones between the two of you. But I was curious, what drives you? What drives that passion? What, what makes you get out of bed and excited to go to work every day? Well, I know for myself, the science has always been kind of a passion side of myself. Ever since I was a little kid, I was that kid that was always in dating myself, the Encyclopedia Britannica for those olders. But then, of course, like I'm so kind of glad that they didn't have Wikipedia back then when I was a little kid because I would have been in that incessantly. But I've always been interested in just the science of life. And part of it was just to understand my own idiosyncrasies and quirks and why do I do certain things the way I do. And science provided a lot of that, that framework for me and it really helped me out. But I think over time, I started realizing that these are things that we all struggle with. We all are kind of, how should I say, challenged with. And I've always been kind of this... I love this like self-help guru or self-help junkie. I've just read tons of self-help books. 
person. I was that person that just couldn't help but to consume so much of it. And a lot of it was based on, uh, in scientific findings. And so I figured a lot of these things were helping and working for me. And I didn't realize that people were also in the field struggling. And I would mention certain types of books and literature and it was like so new and novel to them. I'm kind of like, oh, really? I thought everybody knew this. But I think this is where I definitely felt like when somebody finally kind of gets it and says, thank you so much. This really helped me. I think that becomes reinfectious for me. I, Nick knows this. I call it my Eureka metrics. When somebody goes, oh, wow, thank you so much. Ah, that's it. That sense of relief. And I sympathize and empathize with them. I'm like, I know I've been there too. Isn't it great? It's like, how do I get out of my head? How do I help somebody? How do I uh, ask for more money? How do I ask for this? How do I like all of these like how to's when you can help somebody to get through that challenge and you already know what that challenge feels like and to come across that light and you're like, oh, and you're like, yay, here's the promised land. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. And you spoke about the Eureka concept in the last podcast. Mm -hmm. So all of our listeners, if you're doing your homework, should already have heard that and know what it is. <laughs> what about you, Nick? What drives you? Because I know that you guys are kind of the EQ and the IQ. You guys are like the yin and the yang in many ways, although I would say that you kind of overlap a lot and uh, complement each other. I think what really drives me is the sense of, of helping that community that's doing something that I find so interesting and so exciting. You know, as far as my own education goes, like the reason why I got into chemistry was because that's essentially as small as I could get uh, without, you know, <laughs> not being able to complete the classes. If my calculus was good enough, I'd probably be a physicist, but I only got to quantum mechanics and that's where I had to tap out because only i love the the questions about the trains and the bicycles and the like when someone shouts at you how fast are those waves going and like when is it the loudest i sat in many physics lectures very interested unfortunately there's just something about that method that just doesn't compute <laughs> however you know with chemistry it was very different chemistry has been my strongest subject forever and uh, it probably has something to do with like spatial temporal thinking that I, I tend to be pretty good at but basically it just comes down to a need to understand through the work that we do uh, we've been able to develop a, an ability to understand things from many different perspectives very quickly and that really allows us to see a lot of things that aren't always clear to the person we're talking to right away and I mean, part of that is just experience too, because we just do this with so many people. So you, you get to see the patterns. The person um, you're talking to being the client, correct? The client, the stranger, the friend. You know, uh, this is not, yes, we built a business out of it, but <laughs> I, I feel like I do it everywhere. The latest non-client I did was my trainer, you know, who was like, all of a sudden asking me business questions. And I was like, well, you could do this, you could do that. And like, do you realize that this is what you do? And this is why people like you. And, and so being able to help really passionate and talented individuals, uh, I don't think anyone can go into science or biology without thinking that maybe they could become a doctor. And I thought that for a long time, which is you know, why I was always thinking about grad school. And, you know, it doesn't help that being in academia, there seems to be only a, a set number of paths you can take. Uh, and the rest of it isn't necessarily advertised. 
And so I, I think Damien also has, you know, big story uh, around that. But to be able to go to go through this and to figure these things out again being in a position where we can see things that others don't and eventually taking this idea of helping people and turning it into a business. The way that EDC came together is extremely organic. It it did not come out of a place of either myself or Damien going, this can be a business, right? right. Uh, it came from a place of Damien, you know, again, putting himself in a position where other people see where he does and saying like, you know, you could do this. Myself, I was in a position where I was taking too many days off to help my friends, you know, and eventually I was like, okay, guys, like I, as much as I would love to do this for free, like I, I also need to eat. So, you know, it's like, I need a way to at least write a contract so, you know, I, I, I can get some sort of refund on, on my day off. And that's where the idea of a company was born. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And for myself, I met Damien, who was already much farther on this path uh, than I was. And then we just joined forces. And now it's really blossoming into what we're, what we're doing today. So Experimental Designs Consulting. Through this podcast, I've seen that you guys have you guys wear many different hats, basically depending on who you're working with or what the project might be. And I was just curious if you could give us like a kind of a short synopsis of sort of you know what is the firm's main purpose and what are these hats that you guys are wearing on the day to day basis. It's a good question. I'll take it from here and give the big broad strokes here. Then Nick can probably go fill in the details. But we're just interested in working with passionate scientists. It's passionate scientists in and around the life sciences. Those that have big grand visions, they have genuinely driven. It's these kind of entrepreneurial types of discoverers, these bright-eyed, dreamy-eyed types of scientists that just loves being in the lab, loves trying to uh, figure something out. Like you said, earlier, these types of people can be infectious and we just want them to keep experiencing that. That is kind of our metric or our guidepost to ensure that these people stay that way. How do we create the environment that allows them to proliferate in that? And that allows us creativity in and around just the management side, the business side. I think Nick and I are both in the philosophical realm of business that business and management should actually be helping and facilitating these ideas, these discoveries. It's not to make things harder. It's not bureaucratic bureaucratic red tape. If that exists, then there's an imbalance in it. And so if we can provide an environment where they'll be in, or increases their chances of success, that is a huge, huge bonus for in our part. So their science is successful. They come up with a new discovery, a new breakthrough, a new biotech invention or idea or intellectual property, anything you can think of. If we can allow them to do that through other mechanisms, through business, through management, through uh, finance, through operations, then we will be doing our job really well. And this basically goes back into our tagline, managing to make science easier. We already know the irony of science is not easy. It's actually a very difficult and challenging field. So those that actually take it on, they truly love it. They truly enjoy it. They're willing to take it on. And those that come looking for innovative discoveries, I mean, nobody's done it, right? They're the first person to do that. But they, they just go in and again and again and again. And so we treat them more like 
artists, like a musician composing. They just have something in them. They just have to figure this out, find it out. But how to help them is the tools in the environment that allows them to basically envelop them, these ideas. And so that allows us to kind of then come up with new ways of trying to think about how we can approach creating this environment. And so we actually start in and around the leaders, particularly those scientists that are have an idea, how do we help them to effectively articulate, communicate, or even promote their ideas to others to bring in their own talents. And so here's where we try to help create a balance of joining forces or what we call like alignment. So think about somebody who's passionate in uh, the science in experimental discoveries, but then now joining forces with somebody who's passionate and interested in financial operations or budgets, things of this nature. Somebody who's very financially creative, who just loves looking at finance in a creative way. Combining those two people, they can actually create beautiful renditions of their work. And so we kind of see this as like a jazz ensemble for you people that are interested in music. So each person is really good at it. There's no real leader per se, but there is people that are really good at their craft and they come together to actually then make it come to fruition. How that manifests is constant negotiation. Nick and I work tirelessly night and day to try to figure out new ways of trying to come up with different ways. Nick is very good on the the practical aspects of the business through whether it be contract negotiations and, and lettering through even some of the business budgeting forces or even just even recruitment of the types of uh, job descriptions that we find for techs. If there is that kind of like synergy, my God, it becomes more enjoyable process on already a field that's super difficult. When we put these teams together, when we're looking at our best teams, our most efficient teams, our most creative teams, the ones that are really pushing the boundaries of what they want to do, we're designing a group of people that fill in all of the gaps around them. So, you know, if this was a pie chart, you know, there would be no spaces. And where we fit is when this group first comes together and those gaps are still there. When we talk about putting an environment together, that is us talking about group culture, company culture, lab culture, a space and environment where criticism is encouraged because that's how we're being clear about where the problems exist and how we can make the process better. And then that is also, you know, another spot where we're putting in a lot of work, which is communications. If you think about it, anything and everything can be done through communications. So whether it's a problem or, you know, if you're trying to move faster, if, if it's not a problem, you're just trying to get more of a good thing, you know, that requires just as much communication as if you're trying to solve and course correct for a bad thing. And when you're working with these multidimensional groups, typically, you know, these are people that have spent the greater part of their lives focusing and educating themselves and gaining experience in a very narrow field. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think of someone from finance working with someone in medicine, Rarely, if ever, in the training process, do those two individuals or do those two you know, facets of, of business ever really cross? And then we see a lot of issues with the, the concepts that both of those uh, individuals work with, right? One of them is trying to come up with metrics that are, are going to make a viable business. And the other one are working with metrics that are coming up with the most effective treatment, which... I mean, not always, but 
are often at odds with each other. And so how to find that balance. And so with this effective communication, which is, I know it's such a, an incredibly broad term, but that, you know, if we want to encapsulate essentially everything that exists within this gap, you know, we have to call it communication. If you know how to do that, and if you gather all these different individuals that all have different passions, but align in a common path that's all moving in the same direction, you know, you have that perfect jazz piece. You know, you have the music that everyone wants to listen to. Right. That's the secret, right? That's the secret sauce right there. But unless you have those binders in between, which are are initially just communication skills, but eventually become a culture that promotes these elements to continue working and to work better together, then you can't have that synergy that that everybody wants. I want to add to that because one of the critical pieces that has guided Nick and I into this position was the experiential aspect. And it's the coaching side of it, because one of the things we realize is that you get two disparate types of people that are speaking different languages, even though it's the the same language, English, they're, they're, the lens at which they view their work comes from two totally different worlds. What he was saying is that this sometimes can feel like they're at odds, but in reality, they're not. They're actually trying to come together at the same time. But one of the things that Nick and I do is help to realign them and as, as to help them to see through a different lens so that they're not always stepping on each other at odds ends. Because in and around what they're doing is very emotionally driven, very passion driven, very, they're doing something new, doing something novel, and it can be scary, often scary. We try to help them to understand that fear factor within them and then help them to kind of like articulate their ideas, their visions in a way that the other support teams can also help them in that same manner. So they're not, for lack of a better term, shoot themselves in the foot. And so we, a big component for our agency is in and around the the experiential aspect of coaching a clients to help them to see the last lesson we talked about was this communication concept. Do you see how it applies here? And we get them to reflect upon that. And that's a big critical piece because people like oh, I get it. This whole time I was using this word, which I thought it meant this word. And I think this is the part where we help them to be able to become more comfortable in and around their environment and the people that they're working with. It's kind of exciting to see them do this. I think Pablo, you've seen this within other musicians, right? When they're trying to get to play together and one is playing at a different one, another one's playing at a different uh, note. They just have to get out of their own way to see that they're both trying to do the same thing. Yeah, it's called listening. <laughs> a lot of musicians forget to do that. that. That's just, it's a very difficult thing to do in the high pressure environments that we're in. You know, you, you think, especially when we're talking about uh, startups, you have a group of people that are essentially betting their life on this working out. You know, it's a high risk, high reward industry that we're in. And so when you have those emotions that are are that high with people that are have a predisposition to be passionate about what they're doing already, Mm -hmm. uh, you you can imagine how uh, sparks fly, we can call it. Well, I would imagine that in a situation like that, your job is a large part must be trust building and getting each player to build that trust. Oh my gosh. And I think 
you know, from listening to the podcast and talking to you guys, you guys have like a, both a very like sort of Zen and we've used the word holistic sort of approach to like modern science. It seems like you guys are working like from a very forward thinking platform that values like mindfulness and wellness just as much as you do statistics and data. Do you think that the, sort of that holistic side influences the data and the statistics as well? Uh, let me step in because... <laughs> It sounds very holistic and it, it there's a lot that we talk about about wanting to go to work and all these things, but I can assure you it is 100% data-driven. Okay. The whole the, thing. The woo factor. <laughs> That's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to to put it very simply, happy people are more productive. Right. And if, if they trust looking... each other, they're going to do better work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it, it goes beyond trusting each other at work, right? So often we have term sheets that are refused because we highlight the fact that maybe moving your entire family to the other side of the country where nobody knows anyone and you're far away from your whole support system is not the greatest idea, regardless of how much more money they're going to be offering you. Right. Yeah. I've seen that with friends even. Like yeah. A buddy of mine went to work for Google, uprooted the whole family. They were back in like a year and a half because it was just didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, money is not the only factor. And so it, it's not to say that those aspects, the the, the monetary drive to, to make more and, and to do better uh, is wrong. But sometimes we need to take a step back and make sure that you have the whole picture, right? Because, again, happy people are more productive. And, you know, if at work is going to be tough, you know, that's just the nature of what we do. Uh, you... They call it VC math, right? Nine out of 10 companies are going to fail. So inevitably already we're in an industry that is is expecting you to not be successful <laughs> down to the experiments. You know, to every bench scientist knows that we work in an industry that is five to 10% success, you know, with every experiment. Crazy. But going back to like the data part, because remember, Nick and I are both scientists in this sense, and even the title of our company is Experimental Designs. We approach it through an experimental design, meaning we actually design types of management practices to say, let's let's throw on a, a pilot experiment. We understand statistically a few of these scientists will not be successful, but what we can do is look at that 1% to 2% and what has made that successful, and then run experiments against that. And then we increase the odds and percentages and chances of success. We look at these other, quote, successful metrics and then measure against that. I think what we try to do is keep people away from just uh, traditional business metrics of time and money, because what we get people to do is understand their definition of success is not always what they believe is right, because one of the things what they're trying to do is mitigate their failure rates. And I think that does a disservice. And so if we can get them to very clearly articulate and design their experiments accordingly makes it much easier. So everything we do is based upon their science. Always, 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 even down to the holistic woo factor we so nicely like spend a lot of time on because they know their science more than anyone else. We just help them to stay focused on that and put in mechanisms to ensure that they're focused. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we should probably start wrapping it up, but I did have one last question for you guys. So we've kind of gone through 
the beginnings and then sort of the roles that you guys have taken on and then how those roles are applied. Now to kind of summarize everything, I was curious to see what's in store for the future of EDC. What can we look forward to? And if there's like anything coming that you guys are excited about. I think from my standpoint, Nick can agree or amplify what I'm saying is I think there are a lot of really great hungry minds out there and it's just unlimited. What we're looking to do is develop a process that actually is scalable, that can actually help a lot more creative intellectuals to kind of like come up with great ideas and then kind of flourish that we would love to eventually start investing our time, money and efforts into more creatives that actually then can come together. We would love to be able to like come up with more finite systems and processes that will eventually like amplify that and continue to like build the team in and around that in that vision. But of course, like anything else to scale that takes a lot of (laughs) time, money and effort as well. And I think for myself, Uh, having Nick part of this journey has been like instrumental. Yeah, adding on to that, it's about growing the community. I think so far we've worked with so many individuals that we've found have the same mindset, you know, that the alignment that we're talking about, these are all people that could all work together. And so for us, it's to gather up on, on our end is to gather up more individuals interdisciplinary that feed into this system in a way that continues to support the science in the way that we've started supporting it and growing that community into something that is more helpful, more supportive, that could potentially go beyond us and and beyond you know, the one-on-one work that we do beyond the group work that we do and beyond sort of these more official conversations that we record and potentially have this type of, of work and this type of support happen in other places uh, where we can't be. So it, it, it goes again, it's just, it's all about growth. It's always, it has to be about growth because, you know, we're trying to make science easier and I think it's, it's better for all of us if the science is easier. For sure. And I want to add to that. Our focus is in around the science and ensuring that the science is successful. The byproduct is just happier people as well. And they it actually extends into their own personal lives. We get constant clients that are like, yeah, my spouse <laughs> says I've, I've changed a lot. I'm a much happier parent, much more relatable to people. I just even this week alone, I had a client who was just saying like, wow, I can't believe I just feel definitely definitely such a proud faculty and trainer. I've had another client says, wow, it's just really cool to see my team come together and they watch the company grow. It feels like uh, I just want them to succeed. And I see my kids learning that. So I think that when we compartmentalize ourselves too much, we don't see the ripple effect that it has. And I think this is exactly kind of like what you're experiencing as well, Pablo, is this ripple effect that knows no boundaries from just this, quote, success of science. And I think that if people stop putting these strict boundaries, and then they can see how they can add to that collective. Yeah, because remember what I said happy people are more productive so <laughs> that's true we have all these people that are like oh my god like i at home is better at work is better and i've never done more in my life and want to do more <laughs> and want to do more of the thing that i said i was going to do i'm doing it yeah that's great yeah, you are that's awesome <laughs> yeah i mean that's i mean that's why i was excited to do this podcast because just you know through pure osmosis of doing it i've 
felt that too. And I've listened and applied your tactics and kind of mindset around my own work. And I've seen results. So as kind of cheesy and on the nose as it might sound, it's just the truth. It's like what you guys are doing has a profound impact on people. I can only imagine how it must be in the actual field in which you're targeting. But that's also one of the things that I wanted to bring up in closing here is that if you're listening to this podcast and you know someone that might benefit from the things that Nick and Damien are talking about, please feel free to pass it on because I don't think that this is a podcast solely about science and science business. I think that these concepts that they've been talking about and sort of these mantras that they live by are super wide open for pretty much any field. If you're, you know, work at the grocery store, if you're like a sports athlete, or a musician, it's they're highly malleable to whichever discipline you are coming from. So I've actually passed them on to a lot of my friends that I thought would benefit from them that have maybe been having a hard time at their job or trying to rethink and reframe sort of their life trajectory. And I think that if you're into what they're saying or if you're getting into sort of what these concepts are, you might be good to pass it on to the people that you care about because I do think, honestly, speaking from the heart, that it will make a difference in their life. So with that... I think we should close before people don't take me seriously anymore. (laughs) I got to stop gushing. Super fan producer. Please go back and check out. We have an entire season of episodes and basically almost an entire season two right now coming up here at www.experimental-designs.com. You can also check us out at EQIQ underscore podcast on Instagram. We are on LinkedIn, all the socials, or if you know anyone that might be needing services and help sort of fine tuning their trajectory, please feel free to reach out to Nick or Damien. And uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. This has been the EQIQ podcast with Nick and Damien. Like third grade again. Bye. (laughs) Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pablo. Bye-bye. This was a Raul Maria production. A lot of us in science and medicine are just crazy. (laughs) People are just crazy in general, I think. (laughs)